To the very first Hey Kids Comics special. What's this one called? Hey Kids Comics has risen from the grave. Okay, cool. You know why we're calling it that? Why? Because it's a Halloween and a bonfire night episode. I see what you did. I think that title fits perfectly. That's pretty punny. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's pretty punny. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's back! I am, yeah. Michael's back from his first couple of weeks at university. It's Is exciting. it going well? Oh yeah, it feels like an extended summer camp, so I've not quite <laughs> got on my head right yet. So, so far it's just far too much fun. Yeah, I've got this student life sorted, I don't know why everyone's panicking and getting all Yeah, it's because you're doing art. That's, that's just because I'm a laid-back person, Is it? You're and, not... I've, and I've discovered a pub. It's not like you're, you're studying a hard subject. A pint of Guinness with three pounds. Yeah. Sorted. Is that, a pint of Guinness is three quid? Oh yeah. Really? The is pub, that a good deal? The pub off campus is three twenty-five. Right. And you get them in Weatherspoons for about... Well, the Weatherspoons prices are all over the place from two fifty to £3. Depending on, on where you are. Yeah. So I like that I've asked you how university is going and you've told me all about the drinking. I do plenty of it. <laughs> my, my course leaders and my tutors are in the pub every day. Of course they are. They're and university students. They're like the university lecturers. It's not like they have a real job like what I do. Well, they draw comics as well, so... And so when I'm in the pub, I'm mostly drawing. So you know, this course is going to turn me into an alcoholic. Can I can I come and do this course with you? It's pretty good. It does sound like it. So what have you drawn so far? Oh, so far we've just been doing um because it's an illustration course as well, Mm. and cartoon is a heavy part of it. We've been doing silhouettes. You know how characters are drawn in certain shapes. Yeah. So round, it's your more jolly people, friendly, triangles and squares, hench, all that. Yeah. We've just been doing that in illustrations and then creating characters from those silhouettes. So you're creating your own characters? Mm. Wow. No work for hire for you. No, no. Until you've made your name on a work for hire project. Uh, and then you can say, screw that work for hire project and not actually finish it in a timely fashion. That's true. Because you're making more money on your creator-owned project. That seems to be the model. Yeah, and two of our tutors have worked on 2000 AD. Have they? Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. And you're having guest speakers. Oh, yeah, Mike Collins is coming in. That's cool. I've met Mike Collins. Well, I'll be meeting him too. Wow. Don't mention I wrote that back issue. I'll, 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 I'll not. <laughs> Just in case he didn't like it. <laughs> but anyway, yes, we have risen from the grave to bring you a very brief special that wasn't planned because no. Michael's popped home for his birthday so I banged this one out relatively quickly looking for an excuse looking for an excuse yeah we do have a couple of emails we still want you to send emails in email bag dried up yeah I do sometimes you know when I'm a bit bored I'll have a oh I wonder if we've got a new email did you notice yeah, they're all palace dried up as soon as we said last one's recorded, no, we won't bother emailing in there. I know. So if we were still here. You keep getting palace ones. So I keep getting palace ones. That's, that's fun to find out. Is it? Because <laughs> you don't listen. I don't, I don't. I might actually. <laughs> Lie. I might, I might start listening now. You should now. listen to the last episode. It was good. 
Was it? Yeah. Well, we're always good. <laughs> well, well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> this is, you know, the first time we've returned from being good. No, it's just, it's just like we never left. It is. It's well, as far as we're concerned, really, we, we've only had three or four weeks off. Yeah. But you know. Anyway, should we have a look at these? Some of these will be edited because quite a few of them are talking about um, saying goodbye and stuff. We've kind of covered that. We have. And we're, we're, we're back now. We can't say goodbye now, we're back. And we're back for the first in what will hopefully be a few specials mm-hmm. before we eventually completely finish it. You, you're already planning for uh, three before Christmas? I'm already planning three that will only go up around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll just see how many episodes they end up being. And I'll spread them out as well. Spread yeah. them out over time. Anyway, Chris Franklin. Wouldn't be a show without Chris Franklin. It would not. Hello, Leylands. Fantastic job covering the end of Hitman. My experience with the series is limited to my much-talked-about comic shop clerk days, which were over by the time of these issues, so I missed out on the ending. Damn, what a way to go out. Very poetic. Andy's statement at the end about how Ennis was able to end the series his way with no fear of anyone coming behind him and mucking it up could also be said for James Robertson's Starman. These two series began roughly around the same time and ended a few months apart. DC was publishing some damn good comics in the 90s and early 2000s, despite what you read on the internet. It's a testament to the quality of the show that you two have me fully invested in characters I barely recall from a series I haven't read in nearly 20 years. I think that's what I'll miss most about the show, the very genuine and infectious feeling of excitement for the material you two gave each and every episode. Well, every episode that wasn't too Spider-Man heavy for Michael or too Morrison heavy for Andy. We're back! Yeah. So it's like we never went away. But we're, we're always... Back and we're not covering Batman. And we're not doing Batman. And do you know how hard it was to not cover a Halloween episode? Yeah. See, the original impetus for this show is I don't want to do a Halloween episode. I want to do a Bonfire Night episode. Okay. And all it was was V for Vendetta. V when I'm Googling Bonfire Night episode. Yeah. Uh, Vampire Night comic book stories V for Vendetta V for Vendetta and I'm like I don't want to do V for <laughs> Vendetta and then I found something right. and, but we'll talk about that later because we're a tease we are so thank you very much Chris for emailing in uh, Damien Lee also emailed in I moved to Brunei missed my last chance to hear you read one of my emails no well we're here yeah. here Damien here's an email I've been listening since 2012 and had innumerable hours of listening pleasure I've listened to you both talk comics more than I've actually talked comics since turning 18 you've entertained and educated best of luck for everything you do and thanks for being brilliant, really. Andy, I will follow you elsewhere. Just point and I'll download it. Michael, uni will be awesome. If you're currently in a relationship, end it. So you don't miss on the opportunities ahead. Or feel bad about the opportunities that you do take. I'll, I'll tell the missus that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went off the weekend and we got this email and it said, end it. So you can have some fun. So bye. <laughs> Uh, if, if you're still alright with it, yeah, give me a call in three years. <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, yeah. You you get. See, I've, I've, she, she's making food for me sometimes, so I kind of want to keep that. <laughs> you sexist pig. She you doesn't can, listen to the show. <laughs> you can cook your own food. No, I can. But why bother? Yeah. Alright, okay. That seems fair enough. Chris, Franklin also returned and said we did an, a perfect story to go out on. Can't believe I didn't think of this when I was trying to figure out how you're going to end things. I agree with you 100% on this one. I enjoy it, but I have problems with the portrayal of Superman, least of which is him being so willing to leave his adoptive world defenceless for his own high morals. Thanks for the great discussion and hours of entertainment. So that was another one from Chris. So it was nice to hear from Chris. Matt Evans emailed in to say uh, that he was far too disorganised to email in time for the last show. But he said, uh, thematically, the, the episode that we did was 
Appropriate in many ways. We did whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, just in case you'd forgotten. No, I remember. I only read this book for the first time a few months ago, and I generally concur with your assessment that it's enjoyable, but doesn't necessarily stand up to closer scrutiny. Or maybe on a certain level it does. It's a very strange comic in general, and I think deliberately so. The grim tone and hectic pace is completely at odds with the vintage art and the goofy Silver Age storytelling style. It comes across as a fever dream at some points, as the imaginary story to end all imaginary stories in more senses than one. This type of storytelling would cease to exist post-crisis, at least until Elseworlds. And although it's the final Superman story, it ends with a wink to camera. And no final Superman story that ends with a wink to camera can truly be the end. Moore knows he couldn't really kill Superman, even in the theoretically imaginary and theoretically last Superman story, because Superman is bigger than one writer, even Alan Moore. Several layers of metatextual onion to unravel once you start peeling. It's very Alan Moore, in other words, but yeah, the jungle line is better. And I also now want to reread The Hold of Preacher. Maybe someday. I will look forward to your continuing endeavours and the inevitable cash-grabbing reunion tours. Well, of, the, of which this is the first one. It this is. is the first reunion tour after we announced that we split up. Should we make t-shirts with the tour dates on the back? I, I want a new house. That's basically what this is all about. Is it? Yeah. Because we're getting paid for our, our show. Because we're getting paid for Yeah, that's what's changed. We're now getting paid for it. Are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I not mentioned this to you? No, you're not. Okay. And while we're on the subject, let's just talk about Wilco's Let's Create Acrylic <laughs> Paints. Wilco's are the sponsors of today's show. See, we sold out. Right. Oh, right. So that's basically you what it is. sold out without me knowing. Yeah, I sold out without you knowing. If you're hungry for a coffee, Starbucks. Wow, we've sunk low. <laughs> we have sunk very low. <laughs> Michael, I do hope uni brings lots of adventure, though perhaps not too much. If you ever find yourself both in Glasgow, say hello. I'll buy you a pint and point you towards the best back issue bins. Well, that's Cheers. me sold. Matt, so you're off to Glasgow, then? I am, yeah. To take Matt up on his, uh, <laughs> on his offer of a beer. Well, that seems fair enough. I'm a student. I can't pass up a free drink. Yeah, but the amount that you'd actually go all the way down to Glasgow. Oh, I don't think about it. It's, that's just the, nope. what you would pay to get there versus what you would yeah I just live life by the edge free. spontaneity don't think about the costs just buy yourself a pipe and FaceTime him <laughs> <laughs> that would seem to be the cheaper alternative where's the, the sense of adventure there is that is true there is no sense of adventure in buying yourself a pint and FaceTiming Matt and saying here's the pint you bought me exactly that doesn't make any sense but at the same time money Mm, that's, yeah. that's always the great equaliser, isn't it? That's just the way it goes. Uh, next email, we've got one from Robert Ludwig. Hi, Andy and Michael. Hello, Robert. I wanted to write this before now to first say congratulations to Michael as he goes off to university. Good luck and have fun. Make sure your parents send you with lots of extra spending money, as I'm sure you'll need it for the incidentals <laughs> that go with life away from home. Yeah, like a trip to Glasgow. <laughs> yes, like a trip to Glasgow. My wife is an American high school English teacher for kids in grades 9 through 12. Every year she has a group of kids graduate from high school after 12th grade and go off to college. So we know about wanting to have some fun money to have. I wanted to write before now, but due to a health scare with my wife that started mid-June, I have been behind in all my podcast listening, including my always on Thunday morning, Thunday, my always on Thursday morning listening to Hey Kids comics. I'm just about caught up and getting ready to listen to your penultimate episode. My wife is feeling better, but we're still having some tests, and she's not started back teaching yet, but hopes too soon. That is the short version of my summer. Well, I hope that she gets better soon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, there's a lot of twelfth grade kids out there that are missing her as well. 
Also, when you did your Alien Suit episode, I was waiting for you to give your thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man 259. This was the last story in the Alien costume trade which I have, and I've read a number of times. However, this was not why I wanted to hear your thoughts. When I was growing up, my grandparents would have a few comics for the grandchildren to read. They had a few, maybe six. However, one of them was ASM 259. At the time, I was not a collector or regular reader of any comic, but I loved Spider-Man, thank you to the cartoons. I have read that issue, I don't know how many times, so much so that I have not read it in the Alien costume trade because I remember it so much. I probably should read it again, just because. I do have the individual copy now, but not the ones from my grandparents, and I got that one just because of the happy thoughts of them. Thank you for all the enjoyable and sometimes different Metal Gear episodes over the years. It's been a pleasure listening. Robert Ludwig from Nevada, Iowa. Because I like knowing where people come from, don't mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as I said, please do continue to email. We will read them out on the special. I'm always like looking at them, don't I? Yeah. Even Michael looks at them remotely. I do. From a, a great distance away that he is. All right, should we do a spooky spectacular? A spooky one. A spooky... Uh, a spooky. What's yeah. a spooky? Should poop it. Should poop it. Yeah, I mean, it's Halloween, Bob Fire Night. We're yeah. going to do some spooky toast stories. Spooky. Spooky toast. Is this, is this a word I'm unfamiliar with? I think so. All right, okay. Well, we'll do some spooky creepy stories after this commercial message. It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on 2TrueFreaks.com Keep flying. A Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible. Cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western. And that makes us mighty. We found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job. They said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side. Not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Mr. Sean Engel. So join us on tutufreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. Halloween. Another example of America sneezing and us catching a cold. See, we didn't do Halloween when I were a lad. There were no costumes, no trick-or-treat, no toffee. And there were all fields. <laughs> this was all fields. Largely, <laughs> it was just an American phenomenon. And we were happy for it to stay that way. Get off my lawn. However, there is no greater force in the universe than capitalism. And as we began to see more and more emphasis placed on the scam that is Halloween, from episodes of Knight Rider to A Nightmare Before Christmas through to Buffy and the Scream movie, slowly, insidiously, this, what we laughably refer to as a holiday, started to infiltrate British society. As time has passed, though, Halloween's become a tradition, even a bit of fun. After all, kids love dressing up, and we slowly started to accept this as a part of life. We took both Adam and you, trick or treating. I've never been trick or treating. You have my favourite ones when you did Shaun of the Dead. Did I? You dressed up like you just had the white shirt with the the red marker, and my name is Shaun sticker. Okay. Your mum reminded me of that. Okay. You totally did that. I don't remember ever trick or treating. See, you should speak to your mum. She remembers it. Your sister, Anya, needs no excuse to dress up mm-hmm. and she very much enjoys the evening and I, I kind of have to admit I started enjoying it as well bastards you Superman one year yes I did, I did didn't I just I did Clark Kent one year you did I just did to do the show Clark Kent with no idea of what a secret identity is no I just walked around with my shirt up yeah. with my ass underneath 
cost a lot and it started being a bit of fun and we seem to have this rule in our estate that you don't knock on the door of people who don't have pumpkins in the window okay. and by and large it's a good night all round mm-hmm. so my curmudgeon lasted two paragraphs it did so you I kind of so like well. I don't do curmudgeon do I? you don't apart from when you're on your bloody playstation and I was clone was not you obviously Adam has usurped your position Comics have also embraced the spirit of Halloween, but by and large, we here at Hey Kids Towers never bothered with it, mostly because other podcasts do Halloween episodes and do them far better than we could, so we left it alone. However, we did always want to do a Bonfire Night episode. Bonfire Night, for those that may be unaware, takes place on November 5th here in the UK, and is a celebration of Guy Fawkes and his failure to blow up the Houses of Parliament in 1605. The backstory is that a group of disaffected Catholics plotted to assassinate King James I by blowing up the House of Lords. They hoped to restore Protestant England to Catholic... Catholic... Catholicism. That's it. And end the persecution of the faith, a move which backfired when the gunpowder plot, as it came to be known, was foiled at the 11th hour. But not by Doctor Who. No. Oddly enough. To this day, the event is celebrated by burning in effigy Guy Fawkes atop a bonfire, even though Fawkes didn't devise or lead the plot to assassinate the king. In more recent times, the night has subtly altered to celebrate Fawkes. After all, as my granddad used to say, Guy Fawkes was the last man to enter Parliament with honest intentions. There's even a jolly little ditty about bonfire night that start with these famous words. Remember, remember... The 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Sadly, stories about bonfire night are few and far between, with V for Vendetta being pretty much the only one. Or so, I thought. Uh, Before that, though, should we do a spooky one? We'll get into the spooky swing of things with a haunting return from the grave and a couple of horror-tinged stories to chill the blood and freeze the soul. It's like the keepers right next to It is, isn't it? I have a delightful (laughs) story for you, my cryptomaniacs. It's good, Dan. Oh, you little active. You're like, no one can hear it. (laughs) No one can see me doing that. But you've got to throw yourself into the park. Mark Hamill dances all around the room when he plays the Joker, apparently. Axe the part. That's what you've got to do. Our first pick were better to start than the preeminent Marvel Bronze Age horror comic, The Tomb of Dracula, Lord of the Vampires. Labelled as the number one fear magazine, Tomb of Dracula had been running for nearly four years when issue 44 came out on January 6th, 1976. The cover is a masterful piece of work by horror master Bernie Wrightson, which is sadly hurt by the horrible colouring job on the original issue. The background is a yucky purple and the moon is a rather silly orange, making this look like dawn rather than the dead of night. Far preferable is the black and white version available in Essential Tomb of Dracula Volume 2, but all of Tomb looks better in black and white. If we look at the essential cover, it's actually really rather brilliant. A young girl stands upon Dracula's grave as the Lord of the Vampires bursts free of his earthly confines, grabbing her by the wrist. She spins around, golden tresses spinning around in the moonlight. I've said spinning around twice, like I'm Madonna spinning around. That wasn't Madonna, it was Kyla. She whirls about, golden tresses spinning in the moonlight, a terrified expression upon her face great cover as long as we don't ask why this beautiful girl was walking across a graveyard at night with no shoes on I know I, I just know <laughs> what's all that about how is it in all vampire stories the women don't wear much 
Because that's part of the appeal of the vampire story. Is it? Un- until they usurp it to make it all about sappy vampires that sparkle. Ah, right. Uh, it's Bernie Wright's a good cover, that. Yeah. I like it a lot. I think it's very good, Bernie Wright's and cover. What do you think? It's good. It, it's much better. Have you seen the colour one? Or have you only I've, seen the I've essential version? The colour is gone up. Well, it goes for purple. And then the moon in the background is a stupid colour. And it's No, it's much better in the essential volume. In fact, I heartily recommend Tomb of Dracula in the original black and white. Yeah. Yeah. You do? It, and it was in the original black and white if you read the British <laughs> weekly reprint, which I did. You just recommend black and white, though. I recommend black and white for a lot of Neil Adams. A lot of Neil Adams' stuff works better in black and white, I think, particularly... A lot of Gene Colan. Half an evil Gene Colan. This, Tomb of Dracula, much better in black and white mm. than in colour. Something, sometimes the colour actually helps. Yeah, it's just if the colourist does a good job. Yeah, whereas Tomb of Dracula does work better as a black and white Hammer Horror movie. Yeah. In my opinion, anyway. Uh, yeah, so we like the cover. Bernie Wrightson does a good job. Why she's walking around, like we say, in that lovely dress in the middle of the night in a graveyard. Yeah, maybe the, the gypsies have camped nearby. Maybe, maybe she's a gypsy girl, is that what you're saying? Could be. Gypsy curse girl. It does work well with vampire stories. It does. There's always a gypsy curse in a vampire story. There you is. notice that. Paul Butterworth, the Night Staker, was written by Marv Wolfen, a very appropriate name for a horror episode, with art by Gene Colon and Tom Palmer. January 1st, 1976, 2.30am. Investigative news reporter Paul Butterworth learns of the death of Murray Ann Travers and, subsequently, Margaret Simmons. Two deaths in graveyards in one night, and both young women, their bodies drained of blood and left littering the snow-covered grass. Butterworth has previous with a creature of the night named Michael Morbius, and this seems very much his M.O. By pure luck, Butterworth flicks on the expositional news network, copyright Michael Baylor, that reveals that Harold H. Harold had recently had an article in True Vampire Stories about his encounter with Dracula. Butterworth follows up the lead and Harold tells him a tall tale of how he, Harold, aided Blade the Vampire Slayer in a deadly battle to the death with the King of the Vampires. Butterworth would normally dismiss Harold's ramblings of those of a hack writer desperate for credibility, but in this case, he's not too sure. After all, Harold's name dropped Quincy Harker, and that was a thread worth tugging. Stumbling across a police-banned radio report, Butterworth heads to an ongoing police encounter with a man who is destroying the Boston police force. Snapping a few shots from his trusty Nikon, Butterworth disturbs the perp, who turns on him, but Butterworth's crucifix necklace saves his life. The creature turns into a bat before Butterworth's startled eyes and flies away. Butterworth then interviews Blade, who gives a completely different version of events to that told earlier by Harold. Blade is with the usual Drac Pack Hunters Club, who have rather stupidly checked into a hotel under Harker's name. You know what that means? Yes, Dracula finds them relatively easily. Fight happens. Butterworth tries to escape by using the crucifix again, but Dracula is bored of this and uses his power to control minds to force Butterworth to drop it. He vows to find Butterworth and kill him later. At his office, living in fear, Butterworth is visited by the Lord of the Undead, but Butterworth is prepared. He whips out a crucifix, but doesn't know how to wield the one item that can slay Dracula, and so the King of the Corpses prepares to make a meal of Pop Butterworth. Butterworth, however, pulls out an old trick from his sleeve. He tugs the curtains off the wall just as the sun rises. Bested by the light, Dracula promises to return and flees before the dawn becomes the day. When the police arrive, Butterworth tries to corroborate his story with pictures from his Nikon. But, alas, vampires don't photograph. 
Whereas nowadays they would. Would they? Well, digital cameras don't work off mirrors. Oh, right, yeah. Whereas old cameras do, and it's the mirrored reflection that they, it doesn't capture, isn't it? Because right. supposedly the mirror captures your soul, and they don't have a soul. Yes. But digital cameras don't have mirrors, so you could digitally film a vampire. Now. Cool. In theory. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've never tested my theory out, largely because vampires aren't real. That you know of. That I know of. Yeah. I, that, well, that's the thing as well. I've never actually encountered one to test out my theory. Yeah. Were I to encounter one, I would whip out my phone. <laughs> Because I would not panic in anywhere, and I would say, "Freeze, Drac!" and I would pop off a few shots. I just want to see if you'll film on a digital. <laughs> and that's probably how the conversation. Excuse me one second, good sir. But might you pose though, whilst I test out the hypothesis? <laughs> might, you, <laughs> might you pose with your lovely cape fluttering in the breeze? Oh, I love how the moonlight sparkles off your fangs as they pierce my jugular vein and drain my life energy. <laughs> and then you go. Yeah. That's totally out of good, eh? It is, yeah. Perfect, yeah. Um, the opening splash page. Bless. Somebody's been watching Kolchak, haven't they? Yeah. The Night Staker. Oh, that's funny. The Night Stalker. This isn't so much a homage to Kolchak mm. as a blatant rip-off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the first thing that jumped when I read. Yeah, uh, it's... The, the, the Paul Butterworth, the, the, the central character, looks... Not exactly like Darren McGavin, but enough like him for you to go, that's Darren McGavin. Yeah. And he wears exactly the same hat as Carl Kolchak, and he has exactly the same crumpled clothes as Carl Kolchak, and he has exactly the same hard-boiled narration, and the overall tone and feel of the piece is same as Carl Kolchak, and just like Carl Kolchak, Butterworth ends up with no proof of the events of this New Year adventure. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, if it looks like Carl Kolchak <laughs> and it moves like Carl Kolchak, then it's Carl Kolchak. Yes. And it is a real shame they just couldn't call him Carl Kolchak. Because mm. this story does work much better if this is Darren McGavin. Yeah. Although, let's be honest, everything works better with added Darren McGavin. Okay. Or it does, in my opinion. I love Darren McGavin. Uh, Dracula, as we will find out as we move through the story, is weakened. But him killing two girls in graveyards in the same evening less than half an hour if yeah. the, the caption boxes are to be believed the first body's discovered at 2.30 the second one at 3 in the morning it seems like a bit much uh, neither woman has much to do with anything and I get that Dracula needs to feed because he's weakened but he's not a serial killer for the sake of being a serial killer is he? he's also I don't think he's portrayed as quite dumb in this oh he's a massive dick yeah, Dracula's but always that. I never really got that he was as dumb as he is in this. Well, does his, is his intelligence related to how weakened his state is? Is he a bit muggy and a bit foggy because he's very weak in this story? I don't know. Because what's really cool about this issue is the last issue ended on a cliffhanger. Blade confronts Dracula, and we expect to open this issue with a big old fight scene. Right. And it's only later on we get filled in the blanks of, of the occurrences that happened straight after the last issue mm. that obviously led to Dracula's weakened state. I mean, surely the better thing for him to do here, drain somebody, sure, but then get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, don't do it in an obvious place yeah. like the graveyard. And, but, um, and we, we get given an explanation for why one woman is in the grave, but why is the other one? Oh, no, the other one's not, is she? No, I don't think so. All right, yeah. So, all right. So, if we interpret that the story is a fractured narrative, Dracula wakes up in a grave. So, does he always have to bury himself? 
seems like a lot of effort. It do, how, how, has he, how has he done this? I get that he's got to sleep in a coffin or something. Yeah. So has he found his way into a coffin here, and then all the dirt's just fallen back on him, and then he's bust free of it. Does he not just have a safe house with a coffin in the basement? Well, maybe he's nowhere near his safe house. But that's what I mean about a lot of the story doesn't make sense. But I'll get to that later, because I actually think right. that this could be clever, rather than a bit silly. Okay. And I'll explain why later on. But if you follow the narrative, alright, so is the three o'clock woman killed first? Because he bursts from his grave to kill, um, what's her name? Margaret Simmons. Right. And then the second death, Murray Ann, what's her face? Murray Ann Travers, is killed after having an argument with her boyfriend. But then they make up, and then she gets out of the car, and she's walking down the road to where she lives. Now, why her boyfriend didn't take her to her house yeah. and drop her off at the door, maybe going for some coffee if they've just made up after an <laughs> argument, that's not explained. Mm. But it makes more sense, then, that he kills Travers after he kills... What's the name? And they just find the bodies in the Yeah, and they find order. the bodies in a different order. Because that fits in with the fractured narrative of the story. Yeah. So that worked... Alright, okay, I'll buy that. But I still think, maybe, then, he killed the grave girl... Right. ...who was just in the graveyard in, at three o'clock in the morning... Yeah. ...because she's mourning over her husband. Sure, there are, you know, lighter parts of the day to do that. Yeah. But alright, whatever. And then he's just walking, and he sees Marianne Travers get dropped off, and he thinks, maybe a bit of dessert won't hurt anything. Yeah. No, I'm not quite full. Bit of chocolate cake after my main meal. All right, okay. I'll go with it. I'll go with it for the sake of following the story. Okay. Whereas him killing two people in such a short span of time seemed like, you know... Overdoing it. Yeah, I mean, he's not bothered about attracting attention to himself because he's Dracula. He doesn't really fear anybody. Yeah. But at the same time, as the events of the story unfold, I think the smarter option here would have been for him to just leave now. Mm. Get a hell out of Dodge. His personal grudge against the Drac Pack Hunters. Leave that till later. Yeah. Get out, get to, like you say, get to his safe house with his coffin in. Relax a bit. Get back to full strength. <laughs> Put some Netflix on. Put some Netflix on. Chill out with uh, the Vampire Diaries. Or maybe that's too much like homework for him. Could be. You may, do you not think he, he probably watches that Vanderpump Rules filthy mum likes? Or the Real Housewife of Transylvania? He probably watches the Real Housewife of Transylvania. Yeah, he probably watches reality television. He probably doesn't watch the Vampire Diaries. Or if he watches something like Buffy. Right. Or um, Twilight. He's he probably just mocks them. Mocks them mercilessly. <laughs> no, that's wrong. Alright, fair enough. Okay. So, Carl, Carl, sorry. Paul Butterworth. Yeah. Should we just call him Kolchak? It's easy. For the sake of yeah. argument. So, Kolchak. Um, through utter coincidence finds out about Harold H. Harold which if that is not one of the best names in comics Mm. it's certainly up there and Harold H. Harold builds his part up significantly to the fight between Dracula and Blade which obviously we didn't see yeah because that was the cliffhanger end of of last issue so there's a Rochman like quality to this Butterworth happens upon the event here, though, due to a radio broadcast. Now, I'll buy that he monitors the police band. That makes sense. For an investigative journalist to monitor the police band, all right, I have no problem with that. But when he gets in the car after being informed of the two deaths of the women, to just happen to have a radio advert for a magazine Mm. that just happens to feature an article that Butterworth Kolchak remembers, that just happens to be Harold H. Harold who just happens to have had dealing with Dracula, Yeah. how much of stuff just happening does it take before it becomes stuff just happening and not actually investigative journalism? 
Well, isn't that what comics are? <laughs> I know, but that's a startling level of coincidence. I yeah. mean, over the history of Hey Kids comics, we have taken great delight in pointing out when coincidences happen. Yes. Because it's one of the things that a lot of people complain about, that that's a huge coincidence. Coincidences happen all the time in comics. Yes. Sometimes ridiculous coincidences happen in comics to let the story get alone. And along, sorry. And this was one of those ridiculous levels of coincidence. It was. I happened to turn on the expositional news network at the exact time that they're advertising a magazine that has a name that I recognise from an article that I read who happens to have contact with the person who just killed the two women that I've just found. Yeah. That's not investigative journalism. It's not, but... What are you going to do? Is a lot of journalism not on luck? (laughs) Yeah, but that level of luck? Maybe you just got really, really lucky. Well, alright, okay. (laughs) I suppose we have to accept it. Or we're just closing the comic at this point and going, next! (laughs) So, okay, we will will accept this. Um, It's a little bit confusing in the way that the story is told. Dracula's off living on his own, living the vampire equivalent of the bachelor lifestyle because he's recovering from the events of the last issue that we didn't actually see. And then Butterworth just keeps blundering onto his activities. He's managed to escape Blade. So there is an awful lot of this that I think is really quite interesting in the sense that the audience, us, is being asked to piece together the narrative in different in a different order yeah. from what it's been presented to us. So that was actually a really strong piece of writing. I liked that a great deal. Especially if you'd read the last edition, you were expecting this to open with a big fight scene. Right. Which you didn't. I did not. But I have, because I've read these before. So that, that, was, that, was quite, that was quite good. Because my thinking with this is that that is the key to the entire issue. Mm. We're learning the events of this issue through the eyes of Carl Kolchak. Yes. Right? And he's an unreliable narrator. Because he's not privy to the whole story. He doesn't know what was going on before this. Mm. He doesn't know what will follow this. He doesn't know the events that are going on that he is not privy to. So what we've got here is a lot of unanswered questions simply because Butterworth isn't around to witness what's going on. And therefore Dracula's actions make little sense in this story and like you point out he doesn't come across as being very smart in this story simply because we are not aware of everything that's going on because we're seeing the story through the eyes of somebody who isn't understanding everything that's going on so Kolchak is an impartial observer and therefore the narrative of the story is unreliable what do you think? yeah (laughs) yeah I agree I, I, think, I think that's a perfectly valid reading of this story. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I hadn't read the first one. Well, you don't have but to. surely there's only so many Dracula stories you can tell, right? Yeah. So it makes sense, especially around this era of comics, to have a detective blundering in, in the middle of a story one. Yeah. Well, it's also... What this has just done is followed a multi-issue story out with a guy called, oh God, Colonel Sonar... Right. Admiral Sun or something like that. Admiral Sun versus Dracula. Something like that, yeah, because the the Drac pack succeeded in killing Dracula. Okay. They wiped him out. And then this Admiral Colonel Sun bloke shows up. Right. And they're all a bit, oh, crap, we're cacking our pants now. The only guy who can tear this down is Dracula. Right. So they have to re-bring him back to life. Okay. So essentially what you've got here is the a, a continuation of a story where they've had to bring Dracula back to life. Right. So now, 
everything that he now does is on them. And there's a brilliant bit in an issue just before this one where Dracula kills somebody in front of them yeah. just to make that point. You resurrected me. This death's on you. And he just drains her dry. Right. And one of the best things about Wolfman's Dracula is that Dracula is a complete and utter dick. Right. And he never changes in that respect. He's a he's an arrogant asshole in every episode, and that's why he's brilliant. And that's why I love him a great deal in the Tomb of Dracula. There's none of this, oh, woe is me. Yeah. Oh, God, vampirism is a curse. <laughs> this is a guy who loves being a vampire and loves being an asshole. All right. And he's exceptionally good at it. He is exceptionally good at being an asshole. So the story carries on. Uh, I was very disappointed at the end of this that Butterworth lived. Yeah. It was set up like... Yeah. The way I was reading it, it's very kind of um, detective crime noir with a Lovecraftian twist. Yeah. Or like most Lovecraft stories are first person, past tense, last will and testament before they die at the end of the story. Which is essentially... Yeah, that's exactly that what like they were yeah. setting up. But Excellent point. Like, Kolchak only survives just because... So we get that funny ending. Yeah. It's... <laughs> That is exactly right. He only survives, so we get the wah 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 ending yeah. with, oh, my Nikon doesn't take pictures of vampires. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't entirely fond of Dracula breaking in on Blade and his group. Well, that made no sense, did it? Like I no. pointed out in the synopsis, if you're hiding from Dracula, you don't check into a hotel under your real name. Yeah, but I could live with it. Maybe you need a bit of action in it. But for him to go to Kolchak and then him survive. Yeah. I, felt, I I read it exactly the same way you did. I read it as, this is leading towards this guy's death. Mm. This is going to be another notch on Dracula's bedpost, yeah. if you will. And the fact that he survived at the end of it... Yeah, I, I, I couldn't find any record of him appearing again either. Mm. So it's like, did Wolfman plan on bringing him back for further stories? Or, or what? Because then you've got the thing with him that... The, the problem that plagued the Kolchak TV show right. is you can't have every single episode end with him having no proof that this stuff happened. Yeah. And yet that's how every episode ended. Which is why it would have been better staying as a series of TV movies. And maybe Wolfman realised with this, if I have this investigative reporter following Dracula around, now he knows he's real. Mm. Because this guy's apparently got previous with Michael Morbius. Yeah. But again, I couldn't find any record anywhere of him being in a comic before this. Well, maybe if he didn't die, it'd be a wasted character after they just introduced him. But they never did anything but with then, him. because of that, it's a wasted opportunity to not kill him. Yeah, but see, I read it originally... I mean, I read it originally a while ago, but I read it this time the same way you did. I didn't remember the full broad strokes. And I was thinking the same thing, that this should have been his last story. Mm. And how creepy of a horror story would that have been if the writer of the story disappeared at the end of the story? After he's just told you all of this, yeah. and he disappears without a trace at the end of it. Mm. That would have been a brilliant ending, rather than this you know, pseudo-comical, oh, there'll be no scribble <laughs> at all, ending. But it's like the tone, because of that ending, the tone yeah. changes. Yeah, 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 that's another thing, yeah, you are right about that. The, 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 that last comical panel does affect the tone of the whole piece, which so far has been going for very moody, yeah. like you say, very crime noir, very Lovecraftian, very Kolchaki, mm. that kind of, he can never prove this, so he's banging his head against the wall, but he's obsessed with finding out what's going on thing. And then, yeah, the, the, the comedy ending kind of just completely undercuts it. Yeah. Which is a shame. 
Now, I understand that as the story goes along, we do start getting deeper and deeper into darkness. Right. So, not the Star Trek one. So, it's, um, it's possibly felt that a light comedy ending at this point would alleviate what was coming up. But taking this issue in and of itself, it guts the issue. Yeah, maybe have an entire light-hearted comedy issue, not just... Yeah, not just a comedy twist ending. One throwaway panel. Yeah. Alright, yeah, okay. Uh, on the whole, though, solid enough. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I, it's a solid tale. Tomb of Dracula was always a great series. Decent enough standalone issue. Uh, the influence of Coltec the Night Stalker is, is palpable on every single page. But, you know, as with a lot of Marv Wolfman's stories... And as we've, we've pointed out as we've gone through it, there's, there's a couple of road bumps. Yeah. But his characterisation of Dracula as the ultimate dick is what ultimately saves the series. Dracula's brilliant in this. He doesn't sparkle, he doesn't mope, he doesn't whine, he kills people and he enjoys it. Yeah. And that's apart from the... Oh no, there's something rising. Apart from, apart from the really cliched ending. I will tug <laughs> off the curtains and all the sun is here. Which does beg the question of what time of day is this then? Because if this is New Year's Day... The sun only comes up for a very short amount of time, and I even it was then, January, is it? no, that's when oh, the comic came out. out. Right. The, the story set on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Right. So, if we go by Bram Stoker's Dracula, and your mum could correct me on this because she's actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula, can't he walk around in the daytime at those times of year? Because the sun—it's not Florida sun. Yeah. It's very murky and very dark, and it only goes light for, what, four or five hours mm. in the day. I mean, it's not 30 days of night or anything like that, but there are times where it just seems to get a bit light and then it starts going dark again. And I'm sure in, in the original novel he can walk around in the daytime and stuff like that. Right. I mean, it stings him a bit. Yeah. Is that Ange? Is that right? I'm just summoning the voice from God, <laughs> lovely listener. Am I remembering that right? That in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the, the novel, Dracula can go out in the daytime when it's winter. You know, when we don't get a full sun. And his skin itches a bit, but he can do it. He has to wrap up. I don't remember any itching. I don't, I don't remember the book, but I know in the Bram Stoker the film. adaptation film, he was in London and it's smoggy, so he, he was out. So he, yeah, but he, covered, he was a big thick coat, yeah, doesn't he? he? Thick but coat. he can go out. So, alright, so the denouement of this issue is that Carl Kolchak pulls the curtains down to reveal the sun and Dracula has to flee. The story takes place on New Year's Day. That doesn't jive, does it? It would have to be an incredibly sunny winter's day. So, New Year's, so you could argue New Year's Day, the sun wouldn't affect him in that way. What time? Oh, it doesn't actually sunrise. say, but it says sunrise. So sunrise on New Year's Day is what, 10 o'clock in the morning? 9 o'clock in the morning? 8 o'clock in the morning? 7 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> 6 o'clock in the morning? 6.45 in the morning? <laughs> what time does the sun come up? It doesn't stay up for long. It starts getting light over winter at about 8, half 8. So, so have we just kind of inadvertently gutted the story then? Oh, that would have been a brilliant ending. Well, it depends. You can get a really, really sunny winter's day. You can, that's true. But you can also get a really miserable, cloudy summer. So what we're saying here is Carl Colchett, yeah, winter's, winter's day, day, yeah. Carl Colchett just got lucky here. Because that would have been a better ending for this as well. Yeah, he pulls the curtains down and it's the sun and Dracula just goes, yeah, 
It's New Year's Day. You do know that doesn't bother me at all, right? Although you find out that the same as November the 6th, mm. New Year's Day is quite smoky and Because of all the fireworks. fireworks. the night before. Right, well, it may not have been like that in, seven, in 1976 when no. Well, that still would have been a better ending. Mm. That's Burley a son, dude, and rips his throat out. Oh, that would have been brilliant! You should have just laughed. Yeah, you should have just laughed at him and gone, rip. Yeah. Oh, all right, okay, fair enough. I hope we've not inadvertently ruined the issue then. <laughs> okay. Dracula is a supreme presence in this story, and the series generally. And his being an utter bastard to everyone is what makes it worthwhile. And this issue is clearly a tale told by an idiot, and we're not privy to anything, and it works on that level. It would have been better if Dracula wasn't in it at all, I think. What's his no. investigator? He just kind of keeps missing him. So maybe he'd witnessed the police shooting somebody, but not got a good look at him. Yeah, like that kind we, of thing. we we know he's there because we're following these stories and the evidence left behind. But if he just never showed up at all, so if we'd have seen it from Coltrack's point of view, and he never actually gets any real evidence yeah. of what he's seeing. I mean, that way, even if you do keep the comedy ending, it's not as. Yeah, because Coltac doesn't know for certain yeah. until the ending when you go, wait a minute, he must have been a vampire. Mm. And that's a horror ending rather than a comedy ending. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Again, so from a storytelling point of view, we have come up with any number of ways <laughs> that this could have ended better yeah. than it actually did. All right, okay, fair enough. I mean, the thing you've got with this, did it, it reminded me of that Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, The Zeppo. Right. Do you remember that one? Which one is it? The episode was, it followed Xander... Right. From his point of view, but Buffy and Angel were preventing an apocalypse. Okay. And we only ever saw bits of that. And we just followed Xander stopping a bunch of zombie kids. Right, okay. So we completely missed the apocalypse story instead following Xander. And that's what this reminded me of. The real story Mm. is happening over there. It's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. The real story is happening over there, and we're following Carl Kolchak, who's really not that important. Okay in this particular it worked well though it was a good issue and I enjoyed it until we tore the end into this <laughs> which was a real shit right well we'll move on from Tomb of Dracula and we will throw a very special thanks out to Ben Rush at this point hi Ben who came through for us at right. a mere moment's notice I discovered that this bonfire night story existed Right. I got in touch with a man who knows a man who knows a man who knows a man who got us copies of the comic. Cool. Brilliant. Yeah. I love when the internet does stuff like that. It's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? So thanks to Ben, who came through for us uh, with the House of Mystery Halloween Annual for 2010. This was issue number two. Right. Uh, there were two Halloween annuals from the House of Mystery. I didn't know either one of them existed. Mm. So that was quite a nice surprise. And there were a number of individual stories, not only with a, a linking theme, yeah, running through the whole story. But we wanted to cover this largely because it's a bonfire night story rather than a Halloween story. And seeing as this episode has been released on bonfire night, it felt appropriate. I would have done a bonfire night episode, but I couldn't find any other stories. <laughs> that t- which is weird. Surely 2000 AD did bonfire night stories, right? Must have done. I mean, I couldn't even find any Beano stories right. on bonfire. And they must have done some. Yeah. Surely. Anyway, following on from last year's House of Mystery Halloween annual, we are cordially invited to the House of Mystery Halloween party, where a group of kids arrive to ask Kane the traditional question, trick or treat. Kane answers trick as we turn from the front cover to the story at hand. And I love that the cover's the story. Yeah. 
the, 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 the kids knocking on the door and him answering, welcome to the house of mystery, I choose, is part of the story. Mm. Which is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I love it when they do that. It's a good cover as well. Who did that? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea who did that cover, because I don't think he get. Oh, yeah. Cover. Ezeo Andrews. Did the cover? Yeah, I've, I've heard Do you know it. who that is? No. No, I don't know who that is either. It's a good one, though. Nice spooky cover. Anyway, uh, the linking theme is explained in the opening chapter, where we learn that the kids are all under a terrible gypsy curse. What were we saying earlier on about gypsy <laughs> curses? They are Donald the Kid, trapped in the form of a skeletal cowboy, Twinkie, the elderly princess, Long John Tuchman, a pirate, and Donald's kid brother, Lil Hellraiser, who is now a demon. In the 1950s, they trick or treated at a house inhabited by a gypsy woman of advanced years. She cast the children aside with a warning. Candy less, the kids toilet paper the house only for the gypsy witch to take a dislike to the trick. Casting a spell, she cursed the kids to spend eternity living in a perpetual Halloween, begging for treats and trapped in the form of their costumes, which was an episode of Buffett. They were condemned to repeat this cycle for all eternity. As it turns out, Madame Scarpignato is at the party, and she is an enchantress of some renown. Maybe she can help. With her services secured at the low, low price of a Malibu Diet Coke, Madame Scarpignato begins her incantation, only to have her throat bottled by Lil Hellraiser. See, he doesn't want to go back to being a boring nobody. He likes candy, and tricks, and Halloween. Suddenly, the kids are whisked away to the next house, the next Halloween. Did you read the interlinking section? Good, because we'll have something to talk about. Yeah. Be a bit crap if we didn't, wouldn't it? It would. Made for a very boring episode. Uh, I do love that the opening bit in the House of Mystery is a standard comic. I like that um, Thingyo's dressed as a girl. What's her name? Fig. Yeah. Who runs the House of Mystery. And somebody's behind the bar dressed as Batman. So, well, that's pretty cool. But when we get into the 1950s backstory on these kids, it becomes an EC horror comic. Yeah. Complete with the same lettering. Mm. The EC comics used to have, which is great, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that was a lovely little I, I really love the dialogue. Oh no, this is this feels like peer pressure, and yes, I cannot give in. <laughs> like, there's a lesson that we have to shoot yeah, on yeah. in to the comic to get past whatever code we make. But that, that, that kind of um, is indicative of the sly sense of humour that runs through this entire comic. Yeah. I really enjoyed these. I read both of these after Ben sent them to me, and they're absolutely brilliant. Mm. They really are an awful lot of fun. Uh, my favourite moments in this opening one, which we're not going to cover in detail because it's not why we're here, but Lil Hellraiser asking Kane about his best tricks. You ever kill a hooker? That sounds like fun, but it's not really a trick in the practical joke sense. <laughs> that was brilliant. Mm. I really like that. I invented kicking puppies. Yeah. <laughs> he did, I was there. <laughs> and Scar Pignato's proclamation that she's the best mu- best music u- music. That she's the best magic user in the greater Hoboken area. Mm. And that includes Murray the Magnificent and the all powerful Doris. <laughs> There is something really wonderful about just giving normal names to Sorcerer yeah. Supreme Doris. <laughs> There's something about that that's just really, really funny. And Lil Elraiser just slicing her throat <laughs> out. That's a bit funny. It was a bit funny. Uh, the dialogue included. And they just seemed stood there going, gee, he wears, look at all that blood. Yeah. It was very, very comical. Handled with just the right amount of black humour included. I'm a demon, for f***'s sake! <laughs> yeah. That was absolutely brilliant. And then Kane comes out and says, now that's a trick. I know, right? <laughs> like he's proud of himself. 
So it was an excellent little opener. Yeah. Wasn't it? A really neat line in dark humour. Uh, with really nice artwork. Who did the artwork for this opening chapter? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it looks familiar, but... It looks a little bit Chris Buckingham. Mark Buckingham, sorry. But yeah. it's actually Luca Rossi. Right. And inked by Jose Marzan Jr. So... I don't know either of those. And but... Jose Marzan Jr., I know his name. He's inked some Spider-Man or Supergirl or something like that. I know his name from somewhere. I don't know Luca Rossi. And I don't know Matt Sturgis, who wrote it. But this was, this was a really interesting... Opening, wasn't it? Lovely, lovely setup. Great dialogue. Laugh out loud in places. The only thing it's missing is Kane killing Abel. Yeah, well, Abel's not in this one, is he? Yeah. Where's he? Where's Abel? Oh, he's, see Abel. He's around. He's not that. Oh yeah, you're right. There he is. Yeah, because he's got the little dragon thing from the first issue of Sandman. Yeah, they're, they're actually having a conversation with each other, aren't they? The whole, the whole reason Kane and Abel exist in the vertical world is because Neil Gaiman had Kane kill Abel off every time they were in it. Right. Well, they don't kill each other in this one. They don't. Maybe it's like Kenny, and they got bored of it. Uh, it could be. Oh my god, they killed Kay. So, alright, fair enough. I love that. A like, real, real, what's it? A real treat. Yeah. Hey! Do you like it? Yeah. It's good. I was really, really good. Uh, of course, the real reason that we wanted to, to cover this issue was that there is a Hellblazer story. One I'd never read before and didn't even know about. Same. Because I didn't know these two annuals existed. And it was slap bang in the middle of Milligan's run. Slap bang in the... Well, uh, it continuity. It fits in the continuity as well. It does, which is... All the vertical things used to do that. Yeah, it takes place... I've got a note somewhere. I believe it takes place around issue 272. So very definitely in the middle near the end. In the middle of the Milligan run, yeah. In the middle near the end. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. In the middle of Milligan's run, but near the end of, of oh, Hellblazer's yeah. overall lifespan. Thanks, damn. <laughs> um, as the issue progresses, the kids will then appear in the different stories. They're the interlinking theme that runs through the entire issue. Even they, if they're just in the background. Even if they're just in the background, yeah. They appear in a Madame Xanadu story, a Lucifer tale, an I zombie romp, and of course, the John Constantine adventure entitled Bonfire Night, which was written by Peter Milligan, with art by Giuseppe Camuncoli. Camuncoli? That's his name. He's gone on to do Spider-Man or Daredevil now, hasn't he? He did Spider-Man right. and Hellblazer at the same time. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's Because that's I've spoke about this before. Yeah, you mentioned I, it when we did Hellblazer. I didn't like him on Spider-Man, but I loved him on Hellblazer. Yeah. Well, maybe he fits Hellblazer better. He does. Because uh, this, is, this is pretty damn good. The story runs like this. John Constantine is whining about the Americanization of British culture as trick or bloody treaters stalk the land. John considers showing these brats what true horror really is, but he has more pressing matters. A succubus is on his tail. She appeared right after John asked Epiphany Graves to marry him, and John does not believe that this is a coincidence. John doesn't believe in coincidences. Not since he was a kid. Cue flashback music as John recalls a bonfire night where he was nothing but a tween. A young girl named Katie Morgan is freaked out over a scurry bonfire and asks John to take her home. Turns out Katie is a bit posh and is living the low life after her father was burned alive, causing her and her mum to have to slum it in John's neck of the woods. John and Katie became close, but John's teacher felt Katie was of a better class than John and threatened him with borstal if John didn't leave her alone. John blanked Katie from then on and cursed the teacher, Mr. Watson, who that night also burned to death in a very strange fire. Katie and her mum received a nice big payoff and moved away, but ever since, John hasn't believed in coincidence. And that's your story. It is. Not really a lot to that one, is it? Pretty short. It is pretty short, but interesting, nevertheless. Um, the, o- the only narrative link to the overarching story is John sees the cursed kids knock on a door. Yeah. On the first page, and that's it. 
Mm. There's nothing else about it, is there? Well, in the the iZombie one, they're literally only just in the background. Yeah, so basically the, the, the brief seems to have been you can include them as much or as little as you want. Yeah. As long as they're the... Which works for this story. Mm. You know, you could probably slap this into the, the, the Constantine um, trades. Yeah. Just this one story and it wouldn't matter. I wonder if they did that. Because... They've not got to this bit yet, have they? No, but they're redoing all... Yeah, they put the entire lot in trade, aren't they? Yeah, I fancy picking them up, actually. And I was looking through the last Dennis one the other day. Oh, right. And they've included Heartland. Oh, right. But because I didn't know where it was, I couldn't find um, the special where he was down and out and drunk after Kit that left him. That was before that last art, then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, because it was just so maybe after the previous volume. Kit left him, yeah. and it was before the aeroplane one. Yeah, so maybe in the other volume. Oh, it'd be worth checking. That's what, they may include this in the... Uh, in the what's his names, yeah. That's that's it for narrative linking. Um, there's a bit that took me out the story. Uh, <laughs> a bit precious in the narration. Milligan says, ah yes, Guy Fawkes. The jolly old tradition of celebrating the burning of a Catholic. Makes you proud to be British, eh? And it is technically correct, mm. if we're, if we're going to be picky about it. If you want to be all butthurt about it, I suppose I should say. But as long as I've been alive, that's not what Bonfire Night's a celebration of. Nobody ever said to me, let's go and celebrate burning Catholics. No one ever said that. I guess, but is that Milligan or is it John? Well, it's it's blurring the line between the two, isn't it? Could be, yeah. It's, it's, for me, primarily it's just an excuse to have some fun, eat a toffee apple and watch fireworks. Penny for the guy. Well, that's, yeah, penny for the guy and all that stuff. It's, it's you know, even with the origins of the night, which again he's technically correct in pointing out. Yeah. The, we celebrated that this guy failed in his quest to blow up the government, religion being irrelevant. Mm. Certainly it was never a part of, of my celebration of Bonfire Night. In more recent times, we've actually moved away from Guy Fawkes being burned in effigy, haven't yeah. we? And they have that thing where they will burn anybody who has been an asshole this year. Katie Hopkins one year, right. um, some footballer another year, I forget. But they, they do that well. As that's well. kind of good that it's moved to just be... Top yeah. of the year. Yeah, pretty much. So that's not celebrating killing a Catholic, then, is it, John? It's not. So John should perhaps know that, or maybe Peter Milligan should be happy. The idea that. of like the the bonfire thing, though, because if you think about it, if someone, regardless of what religious they are, tried to blow up Parliament nowadays, we'd be celebrating them. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I was going to put. There are a number of people, one of whom is just in the next room, <laughs> who actually uses Bonfire Night as a celebration of what they tried to do. Oh uh, yeah. The Brits failed at what the French succeeded at. <laughs> what does that tell you? Yeah. So you know, can't even blow up our own bloody government. Exactly. Can't even do our own revolution. <laughs> can't even get that right. So yeah, so, yeah. I thought that was a bit precious. Yeah, to be honest with you, because John's—he's not much older than us mm. at this point in the story. Is he sixty now, though? Towards the end of Milligan's run, he was aging in real time, wasn't he? So yeah, living about well, sixty. Well, what I they suppose. did was they did—they uh, always animated him, but then in the last page, they had him how old he should have been, right? Which is much older. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I did like think it was a nice touch that in the bonfire it was the V for Mendetta mask. Yeah, that was a nice touch, given that you know, what that symbol has come to represent. And I, too, remember being threatened with Borstal when I was at school. What was it? Borstal was a, a boy's home for right. uh, wayward children, is probably what they'd call them nowadays. Okay. So you were threatened with 
being sent to Borstal if you were naughty. Right. So that's quite realistic. I, I remember that. Uh, why? Refresh my memory. Why is he walking around town here in just his trench coat with tattoos on his chest? Uh, I don't know. I don't I've, remember. I've only read towards the end of the Milligan run, like after around getting married. Right. So because there must be a reason for this, but I don't remember what it was. So I completely completely went over my head. Um, this is a nice little down and dirty tale. Leaves a fur bit to the imagination. Did John curse this teacher? Or was it, was it that, yeah. a coincidence? Which is, you know, the point of the story. It's a nice little horror story, though, spoiled, you know, only by the polemic about Bonfire Night, which took me out of the story. A neat little one, but it was made all the more special for being a John Constantine story that I didn't know anything about. Right. That's what made it special. Yeah. That, like, there's, there's a, a Hellbears story I don't know. They are the best ones, though. Yeah. You when can you... tell any kind of story with John. Yeah. So when you, you realise that it's been cancelled and he's now in his Disney-fied DC New You It's good version. to be a proper Constantine. And it was nice to find John Constantine back again. Even yeah. if it was only a little five-pager, it was nice to have him back. So thank you very much, Ben, for uh, sending us those, because uh, we do appreciate them. Both of them were really good read. <laughs> Would you like it? Do you like that one? Uh, yeah. There's not a lot to it. There wasn't much to it, and it kind of all... It, it kind of all depends on this one teacher being a bit... Yeah, but you have also got the thing in a story about him not believing in coincidences. Was that a coincidence? Yeah. So that's neat. Mm. I like that, because it may not have been him yeah. that cursed his teacher. So that was quite clever. So I, I like both of them. Both spooky little tales, one of which takes place on Bonfire Night. Which wraps up our first special. And a surprise it was too. Michael came home for his birthday, so we banged out a show. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even home yet, and you're already getting me to record it. <laughs> we'll record tomorrow. Here's two <laughs> comics. Um, you know, the next special depends on, on real-life factors. If Michael comes home for study leave in October, then we'll, we'll do another one. I love that's what it's called. Study leave. Uh, if not, we'll be back uh, around Christmas time-ish. Yeah. With uh, a couple of specials. Though. We already know what we're going to do. We're going to try and bang out four episodes... Over, over Christmas. Over Christmas, yeah. Well, if you, you'll be up for four weeks. So right. that's only one a week, so that's doable. Yeah, yeah. So we could do that, and we'll do a couple at Christmas just as specials. So you hope you enjoyed this. Hey Kids Comics has risen from the grave for a very brief special, but we'll be back in the very near future. So no next time. There isn't. Oh, man. Oh, well. Unless, hope you enjoyed unless it. we just do what the Bond films do now. But Hey Kids Comics will we'll return. Yeah, <laughs> we did that at the end of the last one. Oh, okay. Remember, Hey Kids Comics will return. Yeah. So we'll yeah we'll just do what Bond does. We'll just do it that way. All right. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast. So it's nice recording with Michael. Always nice to see him again. And we will be uh, back in in the near future. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodbye. Zombie. 